Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza and as always, I am joined by Matt Harmon on Sunday evenings to help me recap six of the most interesting NFL games from Sunday afternoon and preview the Monday night matchup. But first special DFS news for Thanksgiving week. Yahoo will be hosting a special $1 million everyone wins Thanksgiving DFS contest. Everyone who joins this contest is guaranteed, guaranteed to win a cash prize. No losers, only winners. So don't miss your chance at getting a share of the $1 million cash prize. Visit the Yahoo Daily Fantasy Lobby now and join the $1 million Everyone Wins Thanksgiving contest. Felt a little bit like Oprah. Everybody gets something. <laughs> and you know what? The opposite of that, though, Matt, this week is that nobody gets a starting quarterback. Yeah. Took them all away. Yeah, not ideal. What a what a what a bummer. Yeah. Well, some of us uh have large exposure to Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and might be in a different mood this evening. Um, Lamar Jackson out with a non-COVID related illness. Tyler Huntley, who one of us, again, might have had to sub into a lineup, pulled off some heroics in a late game upset over the Justin Fields list. That's another quarterback, Bears at Soldier Field. Um, He completed 26 of 36 passes for 219 yards, no touchdowns, one interceptions. And here was the Lamar Jackson light part, seven rushing attempts for 40 yards. Okay. What are your thoughts? I mean, Matt Nagy, vindication week. They they still lose the game to the Chicago Bears. And the crowd was still (laughs) chanting fire Nagy. So Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's just taking what he can get at this point. But uh, look, the Bears offense did show some life with uh, Andy Dalton. I think that could have happened regardless, you know, uh, even if Justin Fields was still out there. Because this Ravens passing attack, they live by the blitz. They die by the blitz. They live by man coverage. They die by man coverage. They've been doing a lot more dying than living this year. Uh, Darnell Mooney <laughs> got 16 targets, only caught five of them, but went for a buck 21 and a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin, I mean... What a what a dagger to the gut that this was probably the game where Allen Robinson actually would have posted a usable fantasy stat line. And of course, he he misses this game with a hamstring injury, even coming out of the Bears bye. But yeah, I mean, this um, pretty good chance we're seeing Andy Dalton versus Tim Boyle on Thanksgiving for the first oh. game. So get the booze, get the booze early, get it, get drunk early, because I mean, it's going to be a tough watch that game. 77 yards from Tim Boyle. 
as a starting quarterback for the Detroit Lions today. We will get there. We will get there uh, in a second. I will say Tyler Huntley, two uh, nice things to think about, two silver linings. He managed two completions over 20 yards, one to Devin DuVernay, the other to Sammy Watkins. So showed a little bit of metal late, which was which was nice to see. Obviously, the Bears had a lot of key defensive players missing, um, but I enjoy your point. Enjoy, find it interesting, agree with. I'm not quite sure. Don't have the words when it comes <laughs> to the Enjoy is probably but... not the right word. I'll tell you that. Yeah. The rib injury from Justin Fields is going to likely cost him time. Um, I was personally re- really um, confronted by the fact that Cole Komet only drew two targets. He had not seen fewer than six over his last three games. Um, lots of red zone opportunities, too. But obviously the connection between the two younger players, not the same as between Dalton and Komet. Yeah, clearly. So um, that's a that's a bummer if you had to stream him this week. And then on the Ravens side, too, you know, Mark Andrews was really the only with Tyler Huntley starting, really the only guy that you could probably count on. Like I liked Rashad Bateman a lot this week, but that was sure. coming into it with Lamar Jackson. You should have had a viable alternative to pivot away from Bateman. Uh, you probably didn't have one for Mark Andrews. That's what I told a lot of folks. And he still caught eight passes on 10 targets. Kyler Murray was another starting quarterback that missed time. He's still dealing with that ankle injury. DeAndre Hopkins also missed this one. Um, they seem to be in a oh a black swan style simpatico on that one. But um, they have a bye next week. So maybe we will see them in week 13 at Chicago. And uh, wow, I mean, Kyler Murray versus Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. I'm, I'm guessing probably Andy Dalton if this rib injury is uh, as serious as we're estimating it is. Yeah, yikes. I think it made sense to hold Kyler Murray and uh, DeAndre Hopkins out of this game. You know, the one to three week timeline was the original note from Jay Glazer on Kyler Murray. We got all the way to the long end of that. And, you know, this is why you're, when you're the Cardinals and you're the team that stayed undefeated the longest, you can afford to play with a little house money, especially when you have a good enough ecosystem to throw Colt McCoy out there and win two of three starts with him. And the Seahawks team is bad. So, like, I don't think they needed uh, Kyler Murray to come out there. It makes sense. Uh, I think we're going to get the best version of Murray. We've seen how this team has fallen apart with him the longer he plays injured. So this just makes sense. I agree. And, I mean, if we're talking, I don't. we're not going to touch on the Seahawks Cardinals game too much but since we're on the topic of quarterbacks um and things being broken I are you sure that Russell Wilson's finger is not still broken he he rehabbed 19 hours what do you mean I mean he took the pin out we all saw the pin come out yeah I mean uh, 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 there's a lot of problems with Russell Wilson right now I think you know the finger is obviously one thing you know just the consistent problems with the design of the offense but you know there are several times over the last two games, and keep in mind, he had an injured finger, not like an injured knee or, or a foot or ankle, something like that. He's just not as explosive as an athlete as he once was. And that's kind of problematic when his entire brand and basis of being a great quarterback was built on that athleticism. Russ has never been some kind of like timing rhythm passer that's just going to matriculate an offense down the field. It's like mostly these, you know, big improvisation moments and, and you know, the rushing plays and everything like that. Those are kind of a thing of the past at this point. I think that's my biggest concern with Russ going forward. Well, but is that that surprising when he so adamantly 
asked for better protection heading into this season. I mean, maybe now looking back, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty, but he was yeah. pretty vocal. Like, listen, Russell Wilson is vocal about a lot of things, but sure. he is not really a malcontent, right? He's not really vocal about being unhappy. He doesn't really give off those vibes. If anything, it's the opposite. And for him to make a bit of a stand and say, like, I need to stay healthy might have been some self-awareness saying, I'm not going to be able to be the same guy you have always trusted me to be if you don't make some tweaks along the offensive line. And obviously there was a reluctance and he's still in Seattle and they've, you know, reached a a decision beyond that. But um, yeah. The problem I have with that is that it's like a kind of it goes both ways sort of thing. Like, I I totally agree with you. I think that that is some level of like, I don't want to have to do the improvisational stuff anymore because he said he wants to be like a top five quarterback all time. And, you know, a top five quarterback all time is like he you know he plays like Drew Brees or plays like Tom Brady or plays like, you know, any, any of these guys. But he's just never been that type of quarterback. And whether he can or not. I guess is is still open for discussion maybe but he doesn't play within the structure and rhythm of an offense like he doesn't take those middle of the field like throws he's always going for the kill shot and I think that's part of that is on Russ as well I mean we don't need to like spend 20 minutes here diving into the brain of Russell Wilson but I also think the (laughs) point I'll pass on that but I I do think part of it is like he hasn't evolved his own play style to the point where he can do that with he can be that type of quarterback while also declining physically so yeah the team needs to help him out more for sure from that angle um I don't know I just kind of want I still my radar is still spinning on like how long this whole Seahawks thing lasts going forward Mm, well the Seahawks have definitely had a bit of a window with Pete Carroll as the head coach and that window is generally around four years so Russ has certainly beat that Another starting quarterback that was on the field in the year 2021 was Joe Flacco. We're not going to really talk much about the Dolphins or the Jets, but I do want to make a note because Michael Carter, who has been ascending this season, a great rookie um, find and who had a lot of buzz, was able to carry it into the early part of this season, left with an ankle injury in the third quarter. Obviously, Tevin Coleman is the running back behind him. He only managed five carries for 16 rushing yards. On this one, in Week 12, it is worth noting that the Jets will travel to Houston and the Texans are obviously more generous versus the run than they are versus the pass. Yeah, I think the big story for the Jets offense, besides Joe Flacco looking ridiculous wearing number 19 out there, I can't get past Joe Flacco in the number 19, uh, is Elijah Moore is a top five receiver on the week right now, ran a route on 84% of the dropbacks. Uh, that was the key. We needed to see the promotion for the young wide receiver because he had been productive. Like over his last three games, he's racked up 18 catches, 284 yards. He scored four touchdowns. Like the guy has the juice, man. Like let's get this guy on the field. It's just unbelievable. We finally see it this week. Now I think he's a guy that now that you have seen that you can consider as a flex wide receiver three every week going forward. You mentioned the matchup with the Texans. The Jets kind of have a great schedule down the stretch in in terms of their passing offense and and defenses against. They get the Texans, Eagles, Saints, Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks to round out the rest of the fantasy season. There's a lot of very intriguing spots there. The touchdown from Joe Flacco to Elijah Moore should not have been that surprising, though, because last week's touchdown was actually from Joe Flacco. I believe it was a 15-yard score delivered to Moore. Um, It's lovely to see him running more routes, but this is also a kid that he was in my sleepers column. And I believe I said, like, I don't I can't believe that I'm writing about him in a sleepers column. 
because after he managed two scores against Buffalo, y'all should be believing. But I I agree, um, and obviously it does not matter who is under center. He continues to produce. He's seen, what, four quarterbacks over his rookie season thus far, and he's not even three-quarters of the way through it yet. Yeah, unreal. Hopefully he doesn't uh, – hopefully Zach Wilson really isn't just like the worst of the three of them when he gets back in there. But... Oh, yikes. <laughs> uh, let's turn our attention to the Washington football team and the Carolina Panthers. Some good in this – some good and bad for you personally in this, Matt. I first want to say congratulations because you stand so hard for Cam Newton that you started him in our Guru Challenge, which was very – very smart of you, especially given the price point. He did clear the two and a half touchdowns that we discussed and proposed and both agreed on last week. Uh, but ultimately, it wasn't enough in terms of the box score as the Panthers fell three short from the Washington football team. Yeah, Washington football team's offense played pretty well in this game. Terry McLaurin had a had a nice outing. Antonio Gibson pops up for another 19 carries, 95 yards brought the efficiency with the volume uh that was uh surprising i thought the carolina panthers defense would have played a little bit better here but washington able to put a decent bit of pressure on cam too we know that, that offensive line's been problematic all year but i mean look cam might not save the panthers like he might not save their playoff chances but he has absolutely 100 percent verifiably saved the panthers like fantasy players from the outright disaster scenario like they score 21 points uh in this game they hadn't cleared they cleared 20 points once before uh, from uh week five to week nine before cam newton got on the roster so like this team was trending and they scored less than 10 in two of those games so th they were trending in like the absolute worst direction but we get cmc with his 17 touches he scores a touchdown dj moore scores a touchdown for the first time in forever so like these guys even robbie anderson caught five passes he hasn't done that since week four so yeah i mean the, the you know he's not like a, a fantasy starter or anything but it's it saves the offense from being an embarrassment at least agree with the lift um and there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not cam's ability at the goal line you know would affect mccaffrey's production i remember in I believe Cam's last year in Carolina, there was all of this discussion as to like which running, whether it was going to be Cam or CMC that would get the protection at the goal line. Who are they going to try to like keep healthy? And the priority was Cam ostensibly because he was obviously older, but it's nice to see that. Well, I'm, I mean, I hasn't really worked for either of them. No, has it just it hasn't really worked <laughs> for either of them since. No, it's true. It's true. But um, now they're back together and it's nice to see, McCaffrey continuing to clear a hundred yards and total yards and find the end zone and Newton doing the same um, as well. Any notes on Curtis Samuel who, I mean, like I I'm only mentioning him because it does feel like the Washington football team has these moments. Certainly Taylor Heineke like plays up and down, but they have these moments of cohesiveness and Terry McLaurin has these incredibly strong hands every single week, even if he doesn't blow up the box score and if Samuel, who was practicing more this week, does make a return, are you are you thinking that's a favorable wrinkle for fantasy or a non-factor? I would stick him on the end of my bench and just kind of see what happens. We know he's a good player. Like, what other guy are you going to add off the waiver wire at this point that might give you, you know, seven targets a week, something like that? Off. I mean, whatever make-believe name Ryan Tannehill is throwing to next. <laughs> 
That's a good point. Tennessee cannot catch a break at the wide receiver <laughs> position this year, except every part of H.A. Brown's body. Even the internal digestive system seems to be ready to break uh, at any moment. Friend, one of us was rolling out Marcus Johnson, and when I saw him grab his hamstring, I threw something across the wall, across the room. But let's, I, I digress. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah, I'd, I'd stick Curtis Samuel on the end of my bench. Hey, I've had Curtis Samuel stuck on the end of a few of my benches for 100 <laughs> weeks because they would never just freaking place him on IR and, like, leave him there. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Samuel's the guy that should be rostered just in case he comes back. Logan Thomas, same thing. Like, you should pick him up if he's out there. I think I said this last week, but it is unbelievable the – big gap between what we thought we were getting with Washington's offense and like the preseason squad that has been out there. I mean, like Cam Sims catching touchdowns today. Like it's a, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity, I think for some of these other players to get back in there. The Minnesota Vikings finally got lucky. Something went their way in a division matchup against Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers' toe. By the way, if you played a drinking game where you drank every time the broadcasting crew mentioned Aaron Rodgers' toe, you're probably unconscious right now. Still, the next morning while you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> Rodgers went 23 of 33 for over 380 passing yards <laughs> and four touchdowns. So I don't know if his toe was such an issue, but still, uh, it did not go without mention. Um, A.J. Dillon, running back you and I discussed last week, we were both high on. We said he was automatic top 10, almost cleared 100 total yards, 97. But again, silver linings. Six receptions, and we love to see that involvement in the passing game while Aaron Jones is out. Yes, uh, that is good news. He's been making explosive plays in the passing game all year. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers' toe. Another injury note from this game was their uh, versatile offensive lineman, Ellington Jenkins, uh, left this game. That looks like a pretty serious injury. Rodgers said that he is dealing with a toe that is worse than a turf toe after the game. Uh, says he has to get through the bye week and then some healing. Then uh, he said it was, quote, very, very painful today so uh rogers was willing to talk about that toe injury after the game as well uh the packers uh, have another game against the rams this next this upcoming week and then they get their bye week so uh packers are a team that definitely needs that bye week for sure they need rogers who, who hasn't quite seemed like himself the last two games post uh, his covid absence and then you know just might be out of rhythm obviously we know aaron jones uh, i would expect him to miss next week and for aj dylan to get another start as well Alan Lazard uh, also absent for this game, but MVS stepped up and was the target leader. I, Matt, you mentioned the matchup against the Rams. Josiah DeGuara, who scored a touchdown in this one, also had a red zone look uh, last week against Seattle. Is, I think, one of those very ugly, not a ton of volume. He's not, listen, I think he's running probably. I haven't seen the routes for this week yet, but last week it was maybe 12. The targets aren't there, but in a matchup against the Rams with no Tunyon and Aaron Jones unavailable, I am thinking that a nice big body in the red area against what we believe to be still uh, an explosive Rams offense could pay dividends in in terms of streaming the Rams have given up a touchdown to a tight end over their last three games in a row any any thoughts on Deguera 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 any thoughts on the backup tight end in Green Bay 
Uh, Mercedes Lewis was in and out of this game as well. We know he's mostly a blocker, but certainly should open up the opportunity there. And and look, when you're streaming a tight end, one of the first like steps you should make if you're in kind of the desperation areas, look at like who has the highest implied team total, the total point for the game, everything like that. I think this Packers Rams game will certainly be up there. So yeah, I, I, I can, I can get behind that. Any comments about the Vikings? Kirk Cousins passed for over 340 yards, three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook went off for over 115 yards on the end zone. And Justin Jefferson remains in the mix, as promised, uh, with two touchdowns and nearly 170 receiving yards. Yeah, I I mean, I think Justin Jefferson... I hate to do, I said this on Yahoo Sportsbook Live, and it's like, I hate to do the whole, like, we got to talk about this more, because it's like, we are literally the people paid to talk about this. Like, if don't talk about it, just be about it, just freaking talk about it. Like, I think that Justin Jefferson should be in the conversation for, like, the, one of the three or five best receivers in the NFL. It's really tough when you, like, I always say this, if you try to rank the top five, the top 10, even the top 20 wide receivers, and you feel like you didn't leave a couple of guys off, you you did it wrong, you're, you're not very good at this exercise, and you certainly will do that if you try to put Justin Jefferson in your top three or five receivers, but I think just from, like, a pure talent perspective, the guy does everything, he's unbelievable, and you love this Vikings offense, right? Because it's like, you said, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen catches eight balls and one touchdown, of course. And then it's like no one gets more than 35 yards in the passing game. No one else scores a touchdown. Like we know exactly where the ball's going. And when they can force Mike Zimmer out of his little shell, you got you got a lot of fantasy goodness here. Voila. If we're talking about players coming out of their shells, how about the Indianapolis Colts defense who bested and stunned, really, stunned even, the Buffalo Bills 41-15, to another dud for Buffalo. They're 2-3 and three in their last five with losses to Indianapolis, Tennessee, and wait for it, Jacksonville. This one kind of feels different to me because, look, the Jaguars are a bad team. You know, the Dolphins are probably not a very good team. Uh, so the, these other teams, you know, they that Buffalo has not had the, their best showing against. It's it's less than ideal. But I think the Colts are a pretty good team. You know, like I think they get disrespected because of the Carson Wentz thing. And, you know, on balance, Carson Wentz has played pretty well this year. It just happens to be that like his biggest mistakes, his most laughable, like LOL Carson Wentz, like what the hell are you doing, bro moments are in like the most critical points of games and are just so stupid. Like he's trying to shovel past with his left hand while he's getting sacked in a monsoon, that type of stuff. But I think the Colts are a pretty good team. They have a pretty solid defense. Uh, they have some guys, you know, like Michael Pittman's having a good year and Jonathan Taylor. Oh my God. I mean, the guy has 51 fantasy points today. He scores five touchdowns and, you know, hard knocks is back in our lives, right? I, I haven't watched the full episode because, you know, time and space for content is limited here during the football season. And I don't know that I could be like, yeah, I'm just going to go spend an hour of my time watching the Colts, but I did see the clip that went around on Twitter of Chris Ballard talking with the running backs coach about Jonathan Taylor and basically saying like, we think this guy is a top five offensive weapon, not top five running back, top five offensive weapon in the NFL and shoot. Like they might be right. Jonathan Taylor is that good. Like he is Nick Chubb. He is Derrick Henry. Like he's with those guys in terms of his ability. This was supposed to be a bad matchup and he absolutely dropped a hammer on these guys today. Like he's a special player and he's he's like their vertical threat. He's like Nick Chubb in that way or Derrick Henry is for the Titans and the Browns. Like he makes he is their explosive player and I think he is good enough right now to completely 
flip the field for his team. But isn't that the matchup piece of it? I mean, I think we went into this also thinking that the Bills were one of the most balanced teams overall, right? They are number two in both pass and rush defensive DVOA. They have a lit offense. Like the balance is here. You mentioned the tomato cans that they were not able to knock off. The Dolphins, right? The Jaguars, fine. And so we're excusing them as those being potential psychological traps for this team. But then a a good team comes along. There is no reason that a player like Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, has cleared 100 yards in every single week. He's the first running back today uh, of the season to hit 1,000 yards that this Buffalo Bills defense wasn't prepared for. Like, who are you afraid of then on the Colts? It, It is not, I mean... To hear that he is considered by management to be a top five offensive weapon is something. But if you are preparing for the Colts, I have to imagine that you are preparing for Jonathan Taylor. Hey, sometimes, though, the best laid plans can still go to hell. You know, I mean, sometimes talent, like you can prepare all you want, but. Certainly. But like a top, like this is not, this isn't a middling defense, right? Like this is, this is a top rated, like a top five. It's a top two defense overall, not just like. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, uh, you've got some defenses, right? That are like the well, the Chargers aren't anymore, but you know, solid against the pass, but they give up all the all all of this leverage on the ground, right? But they don't do that, and so it is astounding to me that then, if the defense isn't doing its job, Josh Allen gets thrown off his game, and you know, I think Eberflus has done a fantastic job since he joined Indianapolis in in managing and like coaching up a squad that probably on paper doesn't have a ton of talent, but you know, the, uh, the sum is greater than all of its parts. Oh, here we go again. (laughs) But, and I don't think Eberflutes gets nearly as much credit as he deserves, but like, I, I still am a little bit astounded that the bills can be so thrown in so many different ways and unable to respond. The Bills would kill to have, like, a player that's 50% of Jonathan Taylor, I think. You know, I mean, we know not to mess around with this backfield in fantasy because it was already tough to do when it was Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Now they're getting, like, Matt Breida in the mix. You know, five carries for 51 yards in this game, another catch for 16 yards. But But it would be nice if Buffalo could run the football, you know? It would be nice, but they can't. They got no, They don't even but really this is try. Twenty twenty one, and everyone laughs when you talk about establishing the run. Yeah, but like, look at all these teams that can't run the football. Like they, the the Bills, the Chiefs, all these teams that were uh, crying about like not meeting expectations. I mean, listen, it might be just that nobody's good this year. Everybody seems to have a problem. Hey, let me tell you what. As much as oh God, we got so we got so many questions this morning about should I play this guy or Dante Foreman? It's like, why do you want to play Dante yeah. Foreman? Like, it's enough with this, okay? The, the Titans have no identity on offense since Derrick Henry has been thrown out of the mix. Like, you know, the Browns could at least still run the freaking ball with Dearness Johnson back there because like he might be good and they didn't change their identity. But these teams that like are struggling to establish any running game are are facing big problems in the NFL because these teams are like, you know, everything is cyclical, right? Like these teams know that everybody wants to throw, throw the ball over the yard. Like that's why we, you know, cover two has become this like boogeyman of the NFL or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. I think that we are, um, we're definitely seeing like kind of an inflection point in the league where, you know, it's great to be able to, to have Josh Allen and Emmanuel Sanders and Stefan Diggs, but like, it would be nice if you had another dimension too. 
and they just have nothing there in Buffalo. And I think that it, it can, it contributes to the problem. Then when there's an unstoppable force on the other side of the ball mm-hmm. and all your best laid plants have gone to hell, your one counterpunch isn't enough. Well, it becomes an overcorrection. And I think that, I mean, I think that that's basically what you're saying as you're saying, like the bills would love to have Jonathan Taylor. And I'm thinking, well, uh, last I checked like two months ago, I believe the Colts would have loved to have a Josh Allen or Stefan Diggs, you know, or Dawson Knox even, who ends up being, I, I think, the target leader in this one, but it's still not yes. enough. You also mentioned the Titans, and I, I want to move on to the Texans at Titans game um, because you said that the Titans don't have an identity. And I don't think you're right. I think that the Titans believe they have an identity. It is not an effective one. I believe they are clearly reticent to move on from the identity that they had. They are not opening up this passing game, right? Like there is a reluctance to let Ryan Tannehill sling the ball. And I think we saw today why, because when you th- when you complete 35 of 52 and you throw four picks, oh, now I understand why you're preferring to hand the ball off to Dante Foreman or now Dante Hilliard or Adrian Peterson, bring them on back because this offense is not going to run if you cannot run and it's not going to do it effectively. And clearly like Ryan Tannehill, whether it's the, the play calling or the Dukes or whatever, can't carry it himself through the receiving game. And when you're probably also going to mention, right, that AJ Brown got banged up and Julio Jones wasn't able to like become the person that we thought we wanted him to, or he was going to be able to be this year. Not that you or I like ranked him high heading into the season, but clearly the Titans are trying to hold on to the pre Derek Henry injury identity. And it's not, well, it's not working if you, if you can't, if you can't keep a lead. Yeah. It's like uh George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. Well, the Titans can be believing that they have an identity all they want, but they are absolutely lying to themselves about that one. Like these, and the problem is too, this was the analysis on the Titans. And again, they're still a good team, AFC South leaders, right? Like they're still what? They're eight and three. They're probably going to, they're going to go to the playoffs, you know, like that's going to happen. They're going to catch a couple breaks here. Like they have a very talented pass rush, all that type of stuff. And the problem with the Titans though, heading into this year is that they're a top heavy team. Ryan Tannehill, solid quarterback, AJ Brown, emerging star receiver, Julio Jones in the, you know, twilight, twilight years of his career, sure. but still should have been like, he was good last year for the Falcons. When he played Derrick Henry an all world running back, <laughs> all of those guys, like three of the three of those four, Ryan Tannehill being the exception have been injured this year. You know, AJ Brown, it's like every other week was something with him. And you know, that's probably just fluky or whatever, but you know, Julio Jones has not been able to establish himself. Derrick Henry's out of the mix. Like, and now we're talking about, well, Marcus Johnson goes for a hundred yards last week. Who cares? Like teams will let you throw a hundred yards to Marcus Johnson. It doesn't really matter. Nick Westbrook Akeen goes for a hundred yards this week. Well, who really cares? No, no one cares about that. Like no tight end has been able to emerge here. You know, these running backs, like they're sometimes like there's just these situations in fantasy where it's just a total dead zone. We talked about like the running back dead zone to death in drafts this year, but like sometimes individual player groups become a dead zone. I think that is what like just don't don't consider the Titans running backs in your player pool because there isn't a universe where Dante Foreman's just going to push Adrian Peterson to the side. I don't think that universe exists. And then secondly, 
if you're going to count on like Dante Foreman being the one a of a three headed backfield, I know McNichols didn't play today, but then old Hilliard just pops up, you know, one a of a three headed backfield. You're, you're counting on maybe 15 carries and he's going to need game script, which it can be a fluky, uh, mistress there, the old game script. And we saw what happened today. I just wouldn't even like, you can keep these guys on your roster in the, inev- in like the situation where everybody just gets hurt, but I wouldn't play a Titans running back going forward. No, and next week, um, the Titans draw the New England Patriots, and obviously that is um, a strategic and opportunistic defense, right? Number five (sighs) against the pass, and uh, I believe number eight against, uh, no, number 13 versus the run, but still not something I would prefer to mess around with. Um, On the Houston side of things, I mean, it was nice to see, even though I had uh, Brandon Cooks at $18 in our DFS game, it was still nice to see Terod Taylor um, making moves and finding the end zone twice with his legs. But, you know, that was we knew that that was in Taylor's skill set. We also knew that when he was hurt in week two, it was on when he was running in a touchdown. And so, of course, it would make sense as well that there was some reluctance when he returned. So he's shaken that off. And now I guess we can assume that he's more comfortable within the skill set we believed him to have. Yeah, I think that that's that makes sense. Philadelphia oh, and New Orleans. I mean, if we're talking about like teams that don't make any sense or that don't, I mean, does New Orleans have an identity? I don't really know New Orleans. If we're talking about identity list teams, I don't know what the Saints are. Week to week, their defense is good. Their defense is awful. There's no Alvin Kamara. So it's not particularly surprising. In a vacuum, there's no Alvin Kamara. So you think, okay, the engine of this offense is absent. So it's probably going to be a little bit difficult. But then you look at the matchup. And what is the, quote, pillow soft defense that the Eagles have been rolling out? And so you're like, well, they shouldn't get blown out, though, right? Like, Philly shouldn't be able to put a 40-burger on the Saints, right? This seems up and down, upside down, any side out, sideways. I don't know. Pick a word. Sideways looks right. Sideways looks right. Yeah, this game wasn't even as close as the final score kind of indicates just because uh, you know it was 33-13 uh, to start the fourth quarter. The Saints scored four times in the fourth quarter. You know, they basically Philadelphia from like a win probability perspective controlled this entire game and you know you still if you're the saint well i think liz the problem with the saints their identity is like a freaking xfl squad who are i mean (laughs) they don't have good players it's like mark ingram and a bunch of backups you know mark ingram still gets 16 carries and catches six balls like he gave you your little alvin Kamara fill-in adam troutman uh shout out to andy barons uh he was on my sleepers week this week he was one of my sleepers listed this week that's yeah, shout out to my 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 dead uh superflex team that had to start Mike White. Like, let's hope Joe Flacco gets hurt, <laughs> just because I don't have any other options at quarterback. Uh, not the superflex quarterback, the quarterback spot when old Lamar uh is sick again. But anyway, no one cares about that. He at least was able to beat up on this matchup, like you said. So yeah, I think that's the identity of the Saints. On the flip side, though, like a team that has discovered their identity is absolutely the Philadelphia Eagles, who were thirty second in neutral pass rate since week seven. The flower man, Nick Sirianni, has figured out uh, that this is how he should run this offense. Miles Sanders comes back, 16 carries for 94 yards. Uh, Jalen Hurts runs 18 times. I believe he ran 18 times 
on the Saints last year. So that's like an interesting little like return to form. Like I think it was his first start against the New Orleans Saints last year. He ran 18 times in that game. I, I think 18 carries, 69 yards, three touchdowns. Jordan Howard still got in the mix, 10 carries for 63 yards. And Boston Scott caught two passes. Shout out to Boston Scott and with six carries as well. Like they ran the hell out of the ball on a team that you shouldn't really be able to establish the run on in the New Orleans Saints. Like they're typically a very good rushing offense, but this is where the Eagles offense is at its best. And then from the target distribution standpoint, they've narrowed that thing down. Yeah. Eight targets for Dallas Goddard, six targets for Devonte Smith. Nobody else gets more than three. By the way, the guy who got three was Jalen Rager. Would you do you know how many yards Jalen Rager had on his three targets, Liz? I believe he had negative one yards. <laughs> he had not just no yards, but less than a yard. Yikes. <laughs> negative yardage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, yeah, I mean, you had, and props to you for mentioning that um, and the way that one would beat the Saints um, and that J- Jalen Rager wasn't going to be able to do that effectively i mean you said that on ffl so nobody needs props for (laughs) nobody needs props for bagging on jalen rager but i mean the target total you're mentioning between goddard and devonta smith is obviously uplifting but i mean the ypr here although smith he caught like a long like a 30 yard didn't he 30 yard catch i believe he managed um but 60 yards for both of them basically like just over 60 yards so we know that the YPR for either of these players is not going to be is not going to be massive, but I suppose the identity moving forward remains on the ground. Do you think though, when looking at this backfield, and I'm thinking now about all of the questions we got in FFL and trying to be in service to the ones that our fantasy managers and listeners are probably mulling over in their brains, like we had so you and I did a face-off about Jordan Howard. Mm-hmm. You know that Jordan Howard this week is going to be the new Donta Foreman from last week. I but mean, it's a I little <laughs> well, you don't think that that's going to be the new person that we're getting all the questions about like No, I think it'll be Miles Sanders. I mean, he's back, right? So he leads the team in carries at least. But the doubt around. Like everybody has scooped up Jordan Howard and now in the same way like last week people oh, were like, "Well, yeah. do I start right?" But I I think what you're saying, and I I would agree here, is that Miles Sanders is going to be the RV1 for as long as he can stay healthy. I mean, asterisk, Jalen Hurts is probably the RV1. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that he will definitely be the clear-cut guy in terms of share of the backfield touches, you know, not including the quarterback. And that's good, though. I mean... They it was strange that they had all these great rushing performances without Miles Sanders in there. So this was good to see that they just immediately turned back to him and the schedule for the Eagles going forward. They're at Giants next week. Then they get the Jets. Oh, baby, a matchup with the Jets. That's nice. Washington Giants again, Washington Cowboys uh, to kind of round out the fantasy season there. And yeah, so I mean, that's not bad. Like that's a pretty good that's a pretty good stretch of defensive matchups. Like I think Jalen Hurts, we know he's an every week starter. I think Miles Sanders will be a mid to high end RB two. Have to kind of recalibrate the rankings. And in some of those games, you know, maybe not the Jets game, but depend it's gonna depend on how competitive those other offenses can be in terms of whether guys like Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard will be starters. Cause like you mentioned, 
eight targets, six targets for those guys, that's probably what they're going to be around every single week because they they run the hell out of the ball. So you know, you'll have to look at matchups. Like I think you're probably going to chance both of them in those Washington matchups and even the Jets one, but uh, and just bank on efficiency. But you are will be banking on efficiency with those two players going forward. If Miles Sanders was one of the best stories of a running back returning, then I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has to be also part of the conversation. He returned for the Chiefs this week, 12 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. I'm mentioning the touchdown because for so long we were complaining that CEH hadn't gotten his share of the goal line, and it was, in fact, Williams who was always getting those goal line looks. So nice to see him in the mix. He also caught both of his targets for 13 additional yards. Um, I'm happy with this. Obviously, game script, I mean, game script was Quite unexpected. The over-under on this game between the Cowboys and the Chiefs, by the way, 55 and a half. I hope you took the under times seven because <laughs> nine to 19 was the final score. Yeah, Dallas was out of sorts from the jump. Let's start with the Chiefs, though, because I do want to talk yes, about Dallas, okay. but let's start with the Chiefs and end with Dallas. Yeah, I just think that was interesting that the like, Dallas was out of sorts and they and then they, the Chiefs still maintained like a pass first approach. We know that's going to be the case here, but still, you're right to bring up CEH. Uh, 12 carries to just five for Daryl Williams. Uh, Patrick Mahomes gets in there for seven. Kelsey and Hill also had rush attempts as well. But yeah, I mean, he's, there's no split. I thought there, I did the, um, and our buddy Chris Harris, when I was on his show this week, called it exactly this. And he's like, I don't know if you're just hedging by putting Daryl Williams and Clyde Edwards Alaire right by your rank. He's like, yeah, buddy, that's yep. exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> Uh, it's like, that is what we call a hedge. I'm not sure. Uh, you know better than anybody. Chris, this is Chris. This is this Chris Harris's bit, right? Like, uh, not bit, but this is his brand. Is that we don't know what these coaches are going to do. I didn't know, but now I know. Yeah, it looks like Clyde Edwards-Helaire is going to maintain that lead dog role. Indeed, enough. It, at least it is affirming. So if you saved him, congratulations. We at least have a bit of a clue moving forward. Now let's talk about Dallas because, I mean, the the clues have evaporated. I, I don't know. I think the, the biggest clue actually is the absence of Tyron Smith and clearly what a glue piece he is to not just the offensive line, but like making the whole thing work. And I am wondering, and this is purely speculation, but it was based on a podcast that Charles and Frank Schwab, Charles Robinson and Frank Schwab recorded on you pod to win the game a couple of weeks ago about Dak's calf injury and how there was some whispers about how it was maybe related to the ankle injury that obviously held him out all of last year. And could this be a compensation issue? And so that is swirling around in the back of my head. Although they are, the Cowboys are expected to get their left tackle back in week 12. Yeah, I think they needed that. And, you know, this is, you know, we're talking Cowboys, but still kind of a Chiefs take. Like, I think the Chiefs have, you know, the trade for Melvin Ingram was huge. You know, that was probably a signing they should have just made in the offseason. But that has really been a game changer for them because it's taken their pass rush to up to, like, high degree levels. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is still a defensive coordinator that I have a lot of respect for. And they've managed to scheme around and pressure around their problems. They've moved Chris Jones back to more of a natural interior rusher position. Their defense is not a joke anymore. I think that was the thing about this game and, and the high over under that you mentioned was that's like thinking about it as the old Chiefs defense. But, you know, this defense was able to give an offensive line that's banged up a lot of problems. And Chris Jones is getting healthy. I mean, it's not yeah, just it's that he's true. being moved around, but I think that, you know, he's 
Uh, and frankly, like a lot of the defense is just getting healthier. And so there is a coalescing. And I mean, I suppose that Vegas didn't believe its own team, <laughs> its own team's worth last week. And so that's probably why we <laughs> saw such an inflated over under. Um, but when we talk about the rest of the Cowboys, we have to mention that CeeDee Lamb, well, there was no Amari Cooper. We already knew that, right? Um, CeeDee Lamb left this one banged up. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got banged up, but it rolled his ankle, looked like it might have been a sprain, but he returned. So keep an eye on that because who knows if it was an adrenaline rush. If he did, uh, if he is going to miss any time or be significantly hobbled, then my goodness, I think Tony Pollard looks really good because against the Raiders, we know that you can definitely run on the Raiders next week. So keep an eye on that. But Obviously, game script prevented either Pollard or Elliott from doing much on the ground because Dak was ineffectively chasing points for much of this. He was sacked five times. Again, the absence of Smith, so evident here. Right, yeah. I I was watching this game pretty closely, and, you know, you got Troy Troy Aikman in the third quarter. It's like, (laughs) they they – what? Well, you just said Troy Aikman, and he uh, had some very – his call on a Dallas game was very interesting this go around. Certainly that, that it's it, Troy's a fascinating uh, guy, but anyways, you know, they're down like 16 to six and Troy Aikman's like, you know, they can't pass protect Dak. Like they really need to just like turn to some smash mouth football here. I'm like, uh, you're down 16 to six. It's a little late to start like establishing the run. But to your point though, next week, I think that will probably be the game plan. And that's one credit I'll give to Kellen Moore is like, I mean, he's done a great job this year. I'm not trying to, to say anything otherwise, but like he's been great about like get, like this offense can be many different things, uh, but it did struggle to kind of get off the map and never established itself as like a pass rush unit. And, you know, I thought it was disappointing. You know, obviously, CD Lamb gets hurt in this game, and and to be fair, like we're probably not going to get CD Lamb on Thanksgiving no. either. Like four days is a, is not a lot to clear the concussion protocol. We know Amari Cooper is not vaccinated, so he's not coming back for this game either. Get ready for Cedric Wilson, baby! It's going to be the Cedric Wilson show. Oh, uh, and that was like Cedric Wilson had a horrible game. Noah Brown dropped a couple passes as well. Like it's going to be ten targets to Michael Gallup, and and like Dalton Schultz will also get in the mix too, but. I feel like we'll see a, a game with maybe 30 pass attempts for, for Dak or, or something like that. Nothing like 43 what we got this week. Entirely likely. Um, I, I will probably write up Cedric Wilson in my sleepers column. Also, you can't deny oh. the uh, Boise State connection, baby. He's covered. He's protected. Uh, yeah, he was completely uncovered and still didn't catch <laughs> the ball several times in this game. <laughs> It's fair enough. All right, some final news and notes. Miles Gaskin popped for 139 total yards on 28 touches. Again, game script certainly helped him in this situation. What do you, you know what? Side note, what do you think? I find Tua Tungavailoa, I guess we discussed him a couple of episodes ago, weeks ago, like a fascinating study because sometimes when he is good, he is so good. And you see it, right? You see the draft capital spent. You see what everyone fell in love with, even if he isn't as explosive on the ground as he was prior to the hip injury. But then when he's bad, it's real bad. Yeah, it's really bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's just like, uh, I compared him to Andy Dalton, like prime prime Andy Dalton a few years. Like, oh, see, you hate the take too. No, 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 no. I was thinking, I thought you, like in terms of, 
what part of Andy Dalton's game, like in terms of Andy Dalton being sort of like the middle, the mid stopper, like the 15th best quarterback in the league or whatever, the 16th best quarterback in the league. Yeah, our our late great friend Chris Wessling also always talked about the Dalton line, and like yeah. I think that Tua Tua might be the new Dalton line there, uh, the prime meridian of quarterbacks, and you know. Dolphins fans got pissed at the take. Uh, I think part of it is like people forget that Andy Dalton has had had monster seasons with the Bengals. It's just when he was like surrounded by a great supporting cast. And I think that's the biggest problem for, for Tua right now is that he's still not surrounded by very much besides Gusecki and Waddle and, you know, Miles Gaskin. They can run the ball in the Jets, but they can't really run the ball on anyone else. So a uh, bad offensive line. I think he's a product of his environment. His offensive line's not very good. And the thing, too, about Tua is like he's – you mentioned the physical aspects of his game have declined. Well, it's like we're talking about Russell Wilson being a former like improvisational master at the top of the show. Tua's just lost all of that very early in his career. I think I think he's still probably trying to at times find his new playing style. I'm playing like armchair quarterback and like psychoanalyzing. No, but I think I that no this idea, is interesting because but... I, I did, you know, we I'm imagining at least for myself when we're talking about Tua, it's hard to divorce the analysis from all of the trade rumors, right? From the Deshaun Watson yes. talk. Um, and so that's going to bleed in. And it feels like Miami was expecting to get Russell Wilson and got, uh, you say Andy Dalton, I think he's like Baker Mayfieldy. Ugh, I mean, good God. Yeah. Well, there's another, uh, Nate Tice from The Athletic calls, uh, baker mayfield russell wilson without the athleticism so look it's all it all Boom. makes sense full circle um cheers to you matt Harmon, for eventually being right about brandon Ayuk. i did say his name out loud and i think he deserves it for not just yeah. finding the end zone finding the end zone fine we all find lucky touchdowns nicholas uh, westbrook akine finds the end zone fine but brandon Ayuk was efficient and we know that kyle shanahan will find a bugaboo about something but it can't be Ayuk's ability to convert seven of seven, 85, and again, that touchdown. Yeah, Ayuk, this was, I know that I said going into last week, like Ayuk is back and then he has a slow game against the Rams, but they completed like 15 passes. I know they only completed 16 here, but when you look at from like a playing time standpoint, he's back, he's, he's fully integrated. Like he's a guy that you're considering as the wide receiver three or flex on your team every single week in good matchups. And he's right there with Debo Samuel and George Kittle, I think in terms of this team's like pecking order and importance. Like I know uh, Samuel had the massive, uh, Samuel's just an unbelievable player. And the fact that he's going to get like eight carries a game or something like that does save his floor here because, you know, the guy catches one pass. Uh, George Kittle gets 34 yards. Like nobody had more than 35 yards outside of Brandon Ayuk. Nobody had more than four targets. I think outside of Brandon Ayuk, like he is as important to this team as George Kittle and Debo Samuel is, despite all of the hurt feelings, Tank Williams and all the other people who stabbed their feelings hurt from earlier in the season. Well, next week, the San Francisco 49ers will take on Tank's old team, who he played for, the Minnesota Vikings. It'll be at home, so uh, I don't know if they're going to win that one. Still, it's worth we'll noting see. that the over-under is 48.5, and the 49ers are only favored by 2.5. So this seems like a situation in which Ayuk would make a good flex since it's going to be a close game, or ostensibly a close game. W one would hope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, let's see. Is there anyone else we want to talk about? Uh, Elijah Mitchell was out. You talked about Debo Samuel being the rushing leader, uh, only two targets, but we know what he can do and the floor that that brings, as you mentioned. Joe Mixon, 30 carries for 123 yards, two touchdowns, no targets. Joe Mixon has been solid 
Samaji Pirine and the thoughts of like uh, saving Mixon's ankles and various lower body um, maladies from being aggravated again by using Pirine have gone out the door. He touches, I I mean, it's fantastic. Um, And James Conner, 99 total yards and a touchdown. He manages to find the end zone with Colt McCoy under center. Yep. Um, James Conner, like the whole promise and hope that the Chase Edmonds injury brought has been, you know, totally come to fruition. And we haven't even got the Kyler Murray uh, offense back yet. Let's preview the Monday night game. The Giants at Tampa Bay. Double digit spread, 10 and a half here, but the Giants are getting back Kenny Galladay, Saquon Barkley, and Kadarius Toney. Um, I think they should be able to cover, even if Tom Brady is angry. I believe the Bucks are down five cornerbacks and they'll be without Vita Vea. So I'm imagining that you in DFS are liking Saquon Barkley because of that. Yeah, I think he makes sense, you know, in the two games prior to him suffering that kind of fluky ankle injury against the Dallas Cowboys, he also had six and seven targets. So like, that's a way that teams have been able to kind of replicate their run game against the Bucks is by just dumping it off to their running backs. I think that makes sense for Daniel Jones. By the way, Daniel Jones, since week seven, uh, has like a 2.8 completion percentage over expectation and a very high completion like expected completion percentage like they're dialing up some layups for him he's still like getting like I think he's kind of playing all right I'd have no idea what the future will hold for Daniel Jones of this entire franchise because I still kind of assume that they blow this thing up at the end of the year with Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge and the guys yeah. but we theoretically are getting the best version of the Giants offense center Sterling Shepard's still not out there, but like they're trending in the right direction health wise. I like Kenny Galladay. I, I think I like him the best of these Giants pass catchers, but if you're desperate, don't hate Darius Slayton. I think Darius Tony's still pretty risky, but I, I would probably break top. Like I think he's a top 40, top 35 receiver this week, uh, despite the, you know, questions about his playing time because the matchup is just so good with these Bucks cornerbacks this should theoretically be the best version of the uh also note notes on the bucks defense too you know jason pierre paul i think this has kind of gone underreported but he's like never practicing because of injuries uh, he just like rolls he also up got blown sh- up by bruce arians last week which is tough like the guy's so <laughs> hurt he can't practice and then he just shows up to games and has to play and like yeah there's still that shaq barrett's not really playing up to uh the form that he set last year either so yeah it's it's just this defense is just a far cry from the unit that shut down Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and I think the Giants can maybe find some success, but I always hate trusting the Giants. Which of the Bucks do you like for DFS purposes? Leonard Fournette's val- like his price tag seems to be climbing. Laz is doing a better job of, of pricing him appropriately. <laughs> Yes, yes, Laz, shout out to you. You are uh, more appropriately pricing Leonard Fournette, the bell cow back of the Tampa <laughs> Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I think I like Chris Godwin the best any week that he's like less uh, at a lesser salary than Mike Evans. Mike Evans I'll yeah. just default to Chris Godwin. And, you know, theoretically, you can attack the Giants in the slot a bit more than attacking their perimeter corners. Although the Giants defense has quietly started to play better of late. They're a weaker run defense than they are pass defense so you know that would still lead you to uncle lenny but um i think chris god chris godwin's still the guy that i i like the over on his six and a half catches too from a player prop perspective i just think he is the clear-cut uh, easiest guy to project in this offense 
I have thoroughly loved this conversation, Matt, and I am sure our listeners have as well. In fact, listeners, if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, make sure to follow me at LizLoza underscore FF and Matt at Matt underscore BYB. And while you're at it, go ahead and double check that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy for a different angle on Sunday's games. You can listen to Charles Robinson and Frank Schwab in the most recent episode of You Pod to Win the Game. You can search for it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As I mentioned, I listen to it regularly and it helped inform some of my takes heading out, actually, of this week's games. Make sure you come back tomorrow to this podcast, this one, not the Robinson Schwab podcast. They'll listen to that one as well for the very special Pickups Pod where Andy and Scott will be forced to talk about Cedric Wilson. Until then, we're out. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.